Health Hour on cliffcentral.com. Well, it's a very good morning to you. Uh, my name is Dr. Cindy Siwe-Fansale, and we're back again on this wonderful Monday morning for another um, edition of um, the Health Hour. And this morning's guest is Dr. Claire Jamison, and she's from she's based in Cape Town, and she happens to be in Johannesburg this week, so I'm very glad to have her in studio. Thank you so much for being here, Claire. Yes, hello, Cindy. It's wonderful to be here in this glorious Johannesburg weather. I'm one of those strange Cape Townians. I just love Johannesburg. Yeah, no, it's been, the weather's been a bit up and down, but at least it's a bit warmer now than it was before. But I'm so happy to have you in studio because, um, you know, as we were chatting earlier on, um, I was telling you that I'm going through so many changes at the moment, just the, you know, with the medical fraternity and just understanding how things are. And I think your topic is one of those topics that made my hair stand, you know, the, the hair in my <laughs> arm stand, only because I've been giving people advice about eczema for the, you know, for as long as I've, I've been a doctor, which is about 10 years now. And to think, that the products that I've been promoting, telling them to use, was actually making the eczema worse. Okay, so that's been, yes. it's been, yeah, the last few weeks just reading through all your stuff and, and writing to the moms and saying to them, actually, no, I was wrong. That's a wrong product. Rather try this. Tell me a bit about your background. First of all, like where you're from and how you ended up doing medicine. And then we'll really zone in onto eczema, a very important topic because I get a lot of emails from moms who have kids right. who are suffering, you know, from eczema. Well, eczema affects at least 20 to 30% of the world's population. So yeah. it's extremely common and most doctors would, would have to deal with it in all sorts of contexts. Um, I'm from Cape Town. I was born in Zimbabwe proudly. Um, and I did extremely well at school, not actually during school, but in my final exams. And so the obvious thing for the daughter of a doctor, the granddaughter of the doc, of a doctor, the great granddaughter of a doctor. Was that in the family? <laughs> was to go to medical school. So, um, I, you know, I wanted to be a journalist, but I was railroaded into medicine. And I then went on a scholarship to the States for a year and I, stayed with a family where the father was an engineer and I came back full of full of new ideas and abandoned medicine. But to cut a long story short, some years later I went back and true true enough, um I graduated as a doctor. Um my interest initially, like many women, was pediatrics and then it sort of moved to medicine and then it, it landed up in well in, in gynecology. Okay. And it it just became apparent that as from for me is that women didn't have information to make proper health choices, simple health choices, everyday choices that men don't have to really face Mm. in terms of contraception. Mm. Um, You know, there are a lot of men who obviously want to contracept, but, but for women, it's, it's a, you know, it's a, it's an essential to know about contraception and make choices. And so that's what I did for many, many years. I then retired and went fruit farming for a couple of years, which was really interesting I can Which is a, yeah, a good different. way of saying it was different and disastrous. And then <laughs> um, I re- retired from medicine. And um, in one of the things that had always bothered me was that was eczema, bad skin. You know, the two things that well women come complain about are, are their bad skin, their weight, and yeah. their sex lives mm. um, <laughs> in, in that order. Mm. And it just sort of slowly appeared in my consciousness, obviously as I was growing older, that one of the problems with women was what they were putting on their skin. They Mm. were getting to their midlife and then presenting with dermatitis and irritation. Um, And at that time, I sort of thought about, you know, the aqueous cream. Yes, which is is what we prescribe a lot. Right, yes. And certainly also in gynecology, you know, you use it a lot for people with vulval dysplasias. And in well woman care, you get a huge number of people with sensitive skin. So it was, you know, use aqueous cream. Um, And then my daughter became seriously ill a few years ago with TB. Um, She developed all sorts of problems with drug resistance and liver failure and encephalitis and and all all the nasties. And her skin suffered very badly. She became very photosensitive and very irritated from the drugs she was on and everything she put on burned. So being a really good doctor, like the shoemaker, Mm. I um, came across her one evening in in hospital and she was weeping because she was putting cream on. It was burning her skin. And I said, come on, it's just aqueous cream, you know, stop attention seeking, which is quite a rude thing to say to your daughter who's in hospital. But I mean, I mean, and and the thing is, and I can imagine why you said that because aqueous cream is the most, as Benign. <laughs> exactly. We, pre- you know, that's that's the mildest 
thing you can put onto your skin. That's yes. what we know. It's hypoallergenic. Yes. It's plain. It's, it's exactly. unfragranced and so on. So it was, you know, use it. And she, she looked at me. She said, can't you find me a plain, ordinary cream that doesn't burn? And to cut a very long story short, I couldn't. Uh, and then I discovered that aqueous cream is basically a problem because of the SLES or the sodium laurel sulfate or the detergent that's added to the petroleum jelly to make it miscible and acceptable. And that this does cause burning and stinging when left on the skin of people with eczema or sensitive skin or cracked skin. And indeed, it, um, in 2013, it was declared, there was a warning declared by the Medicines and Healthcare Regulatory Authority in Europe. Yeah. About the use of, of aqueous cream with detergent. Um, on the use of, of skin of children. And that started our journey. Wow. And so the product, the, the, the specific product you're speaking about is SLES. So just, SLES. Yeah, so just go a bit into it so that people understand exactly what we're speaking about. SLES, sodium laurel sulfate, and, and various um, different incarnations of it, is a detergent. And what a detergent does is it emulsifies fat and oil. Okay. And so basically you could have a clear fat and you add some slays and you'll get a, a sort of milky substance that is soluble or can be used with water. The problem is that our skin is made of building blocks of cells which mm-hmm. attract water and hold water. And the building blocks are held together with fats and oils like mortar. Okay. And then the underneath layer of skin is, is sort of fatty and oily. And when you're applying detergent, and many of these creams have got about 1% detergent, yeah, the detergent has the same effect on the fats and oils as it does in the bottle or in the test tube or in the factory. It emulsifies it. Mm. And there's a really elegant study that was done in 2010, yes. taking people, giving them four weeks leave of leave-on patches of cream, and they demonstrated that the skin in four weeks thinned up to 12%. And these were people with normal skin. So when you're putting it on people with eczema who already have a problem with lack of moisture in the skin, lack of oils in the skin, thin lipid layer protecting the skin, and then you're thinning it even more, you're allowing the skin to crack, to thin, and to open to infection. And hence the burning when you put on the, and the aqueous cream. Exactly. And, and I mean, eczema... Affecting so many people. What does it usually go hand in hand? I know that I've seen it a lot in, in patients with asthma. Yes. They tend to um, develop eczema a lot. Who else gets eczema? Um, there are different kinds of eczema. Yeah. Um, the most common is probably atopic or allergic, inherited, strong genetic links. Um, so if someone in your family has atopic eczema, there's, it's, there's every likelihood that you could have it too. So it is an autoimmune disorder. Okay. And it is linked with, with asthma, with hay fever, sensitivities like that. Um, you also get eczema that develops in adults, which can be the result of being sensitized. That's what a dermatitis. Okay. So they, somebody sensitized their skin to things. And I, I think this is what happens to women using anti-aging creams. Okay. If they're sensitive, I'm not saying anti-aging creams are bad. I think there's a really good use for them. Yes. But some women find that it thins the skin and allows them, you know, allows irritants in and, and they get eczema or dermatitis. Mm. So it's effectively strongly genetic. It's also environmental. There's no question there's an increase in the amount of eczema in the world. Mm. Um, and we expose ourselves to so many different chemicals in our daily lives now. You know, I, I did a study at the beginning of all this. I'm not a study a day. I wrote every single thing I put on my skin for a day. I got six full scap pages of chemicals. I took every single product and I hunted and every, every ingredient. single ingredient. Yeah. And it was a, really, it was a work. But I got six full scap pages of chemicals, mm. and many of them are approved, but they're approved not for leave-on purposes. Mm. So aqueous cream, if you wash it off, it can be quite a good soap or soap substitute, but if you leave it on, that's when you get into trouble. Um, and many of these ingredients you put on, and it was things like soap, 
a nail polish remover. I'm not a great makeup wearer, although I love to wear makeup now that I'm older and <laughs> <laughs> grown up. Um, but everything, you know, mascara, um, the cream you use for athlete's foot. Um, yeah. You know, I I, I use a, a, a transdermal hormone replacement. Okay. Um, and so everything. And it, it was quite alarming or actually shocking when I had a look at what I was doing. You know, every time you spray your kitchen counter, every time you put your hands into detergent. Mm. You're exposed to those, to those chemicals and, and products. Right, yeah. right. Every time you spray perfume on. So for most of us, it's fine. But, you know, there are 30% of people with eczema and 50% of people self-report sensitive skin. Um, you know, obviously in, environmental factors have a huge role to play in it as well. Mm. And so, so then, so you couldn't find a cream for your daughter. And then what led you to decide to, to make your own? I started thinking that if you can't find a balm without an essential oil in it, um, that wasn't Vaseline, which I, 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 oh, this is unradio. I can say Vaseline. Yes, you can say anything. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, Vaseline, I think, is is an, is an amazing product. It's a fantastic product. But it is petroleum-based. And for some people, it's sticky and it leaves a residue. Mm. And I thought, why can't we do that with vegetable oil? And that was the beginning. Wow. Um, and I started researching, researching, and came across something called Olus oil, which is environmentally well-made, and it's an oil made from vegetables and it okay. has the same consistency really as Vaseline, but it doesn't sit on the skin. It sinks into the skin. It doesn't leave a, a sticky residue. Mm -hmm. uh, so we started with that with, uh, as a base and then started looking at adding in more oils and making it a solid. So it didn't leak everywhere, but it couldn't be too solid and it couldn't be too soft. <laughs> and it melting point had to be sort of about the, temperature of skin so we fiddled around added some beeswax grapeseed oil and olive oil very i was very keen on not using rare african botanicals i know yeah, that sounds quite trendy yeah. <laughs> but um and um we came up with the balm and all of this is happening where in your kitchen and did you have a factory like the um, journey yeah i have to i have to admit i mean i, I don't like to admit it but I, some of it did start in my kitchen. That's there was a lot of melting of beeswax that went on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I was very fortunate to know a pharmacologist who had worked with Olus Oil and had produced some some interesting creams. And we worked together and came up with something. So the product actually was only ever made in a factory. Okay. And we now make it in a factory in the Strand that's completely EU certified, ISO registered. Our products are EU registered and everything's done properly. We don't make it in the kitchen. <laughs> and your daughter's skin actually did improve and, you know, it worked well and so on. It worked extremely well. She only uses our balm. Mm. It, she lives by our balm. And I take that as a huge compliment because, you know, daughters normally are very, <laughs> very dismissive of what their mothers say. <laughs> Well, look, in this case, I mean, you saved her skin. Um, yes. I, you know, I think that's, that's, that's I like phenomenal. to think so. No, you I like did. To think you, so. you definitely did. But, but to be completely honest and upfront, you know, our sunscreen doesn't suit her because we make a fabulous sunscreen. Okay. But it, we use cinemates because it is an arena where some chemicals are required to protect the sun, to pre protect your the, skin. Yeah. Uh, because melanoma kills and cinemates don't. But she's one of the very few people who's totally who has become allergic to the cinemates. Okay. So she uses a barrier type of sunscreen that is very very good that she buys from Diskem, and is, and that works for her. So we're now working on producing a sunscreen without cinemates. Okay. Okay, just for her. I mean, I mean, tell me, Claire. So that that's you know back to that Slays product. You know that that ingredient. Almost everything we use contains it because, you know, so obviously after reading all your pieces, I went to the shops <laughs> and I walked around and I looked at all the baby products, you know, baby this, baby that, baby this, baby that. And everything contains that ingredient. Yes. And, you know, to, to say I was horrified is an understatement. And then if you see emulsifying wax, yeah, that's the sort of non-professional way of referring to slays. It's called emulsifying wax. So people think, oh, well, that's good. That's not slays. It is slays. 
And yeah, so it's been, it's been, yeah, as I said, you know, as I was reading your stuff and I went and I looked for myself, I mean, because I think of the number of kids you know, that are using these products, these everyday products that smell lovely. It's all baby stuff, baby this, mm. baby that, hypoallergenic, and it contains this product, this ingredient. You know, it it is scary, and I think that um, certainly in Europe, um, in the UK particularly, and in the United States, children under seven are not really, you're not really supposed to, as a doctor, prescribe Equus cream to them. Okay. Because it does make the eczema worse. But I think that there are still some good uses for it. I think it does make a good wash-off emollient. And for people who are not sensitive, it is a very cheap option. Mm-hmm. The the byword really for me is if you've got eczema, you should avoid it. Uh, if you use it as a sub- soap substitute, wash it off well. It's not a bad thing to do. Um, and, you know, if you if any of your cosmetics or creams burn, lose them. Immediately. Straight away. No, I must tell you, I had... I used to use a toner from, um, I'll say it, Clinique. Clinique has this toner. Yes. That, you know, because I believe that if a toner stings, that means it's working. You know, right. I had very big pores, I had very oily skin. And I just told myself, you know what, the toner stings, it's okay. That's what it means to do. For many years I used it. And I didn't realize how much it was burning my skin. So right. I had pigmentation marks for a long time. Until eventually one day I, it burnt me so bad. I had scabs underneath mm-hmm. my eyes. And then I stopped using it. And then from there... My, my pigmentation went away. And I realized that, oh my gosh, all these years I'd been, I'd actually been burning my skin. And so you're right when you say that if it burns, burn it. I mean, get rid of it. Get rid of it. We, we won't ever make a toner. And it's not that I don't, I think toners are bad. Yeah. But we, we specifically make our products for dry, sensitive skin. And that means no toner. We, We moisturize. We don't dry out or tone. (laughs) <laughs> okay. And your products are called Ordinary Skin Care. That's right. Okay. And that's a very, very clean packaging. I mean, I'll, I'll post pictures on, on, on Facebook and so on, but they're lovely, lovely products. And what, what do you have in your range? We have a day cream, a night cream, mm-hmm. a, an SPF moisturizer, day mo- uh, de- SPF day moisturizer. We have an eye gel, which is made with extremely high quality, two molecular weights of hyaluronic acid, which as far as we understand is the only true moisturizer or anti-aging or cell plumping agent it that actually actually crosses the skin and works and we make a, a very cutesy little lip balm and then our moisturizing balm okay and in terms of the cost of your products um how affordable are they they well we think they're affordable the 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 base Olus oil is a very expensive product, which is why you don't see it very often. In, in beauty products in, beauty in general. Products. Oh, okay. It's a very expensive product. But we retail our creams for around 300 rand. Okay. Our cleanser is 150. Okay, that's not, that's, that's not bad at all. Um, and our eye gel sells for 450 rand, retails for 450. It comes with an extremely nifty little applicator. Nice. Very, very expensive, sweet little um, airless pumps airless dispensers which means you use every last drop yeah, and, and there's no turning the bottle upside no, down and hitting no. it and, and pulling the pipe out, out and swinging it I around do that all the time. <laughs> and it lands on the carpet <laughs> no none of that it all comes out you can fly with it it doesn't leak um when you change pressures uh, we make them in we we make them in little 50 mil containers they can last up to 90 days okay that's the fantastic airless pumps. Yeah. But we make them in small amounts so that people don't collect them on their bathroom shelves because research into the use of products shows that many people don't ever finish a big bottle of anything. Not that no one does, but lots of people. So they collect these half-filled bottles, which are really at risk of going off. So we keep to small. People use every last drop. Um, we, we think it's nifty, obviously. <laughs> and expiry dates, um, how long do products last in general? Look, our products will last, we, we have certified them for three years okay. from the date of manufacture. We have got some sitting in our cupboards that are going on to their sixth, fifth, sixth year that we've just microbiologically tested and they're fine. But as I say, we EU registered and they're, they're terribly stringent about all sorts of issues from the ingredients. You can't say you, don't test on animals because you're just simply not allowed to. So you can't claim that you're not breaking the law. Oh, I see. <laughs> I didn't realize that. Okay, so you you can't say in your packaging not tested on animals. No, because it's because it's against the law to say that you're not breaking the law. Mm, 
It's assumed. And they test every ingredient. We have files and files on every single ingredient. So you send, you send stuff to them and they look at it and they exactly. examine it and so on and then they tell you if it's okay or not. Exactly. Exactly. That is amazing. And the funding for all of this, clear. I mean, where has the funding come from? Do you have an investor? What's been happening on that front? We have self-funded it um, uh, by selling a house, putting retirement money in. Well, that's um, passion. Yeah. Yes. We're very passionate about it. If you, if you have a look at our packaging, we have a circle O for ordinary. But if you look at our terribly clever Cape Town designed packaging, you look down on the circle, it's a heart because we put our hearts into the business, truly put our hearts into it. That's amazing. And all because of your daughter and what she went through. That's right. And I think I think when you explained when you explained her medical journey to me, I was really, you know, I was so touched. And it's you know, only a mom would go to these lengths for her child. I I, I think a mommy's love is there's no words for it. No, there isn't. But I have to also say I've got to pay tribute to my business partner who has suffered, he was born with eczema, suffered eczema all his life. He's had mm. corneal transplants because of eczema around his eyes. And he's a very loving and devoted single father. And without his business skills and his acumen and is encouraging me to take this to a business idea, mm. I would never have been able to do it. No, and that's fun. I mean, I've met him. He's very supportive. It's really fantastic. And I think have I think it also helped you to, 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 you know, to be with someone who's had eczema and really, you know, gone through all of it. I know yes. that we used to prescribe aqueous cream mixed with steroids, you know, with, with, with steroid um, creams. Yes. And I realize now that, oh gosh, I can't <laughs> even think about it. Clearly. I mean, the longer you use those steroid creams, the thinner your skin gets, you know, and I know patients that come back and say, oh, but it's stinging me. I'm like, no, hang in there. Just give it five more days. Everything's going to be okay. And I can now look back and see that some of those patients should really not have gotten that, that steroid cream. I was no. actually damaging their skin even more. Well, I think sometimes you know, it so is important to use a bit of steroid cream when it's bad. But if you're using a proper emollient, a proper deeply, richly hydrating emollient that doesn't cause problems, you can really avoid using cortisones and steroids. So mm. mild to moderate eczema can be controlled with proper emollients. And, and having said that, Vaseline is a very good emollient. Um, it, it is a bit occlusive. But it is a very good one. So one doesn't have to use aqueous cream. And there are some companies who are making aqueous cream without detergent. And so it's very worth going to find them and have a look at labels. There's some very good, very good South African companies. Like, do you have any examples? Well, I've seen the company called Oleaf have may make a very nice aqueous cream that does not have, um, as far as I'm aware, does not have any any detergent in it. And and it looks very good. So there are there are available emollients. But it's very important to keep the skin moisturized, which means applying it three times a day, wearing gloves when you're doing the washing up, being very careful about what you put on your skin. And the other thing to watch is, is shampoo. When you're washing your hair, the shampoo washes over your face. So oh, yeah. that's another thing to look at um, as being quite an important sensitizer. And you guys haven't you haven't made a shampoo, it's, have you? It's, it's in in the process of development. <laughs> yeah, that's that's something I hadn't even thought about. That your shampoo actually washes over your skin and and your face and everything right, else. Yeah, right. So that's something to 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 tell patients as well. And to avoid using lot of soap, you know, just a, a hard white soap. Even you know the old fashioned life boy, a little bit of that is fine. Um, but you actually need to really wash with water, and you should daily rinse yourself off because of the pollutants and the irritants and. But always follow up with with moisturizing. And I think that goes a long way because what eczema is, is dry skin mm. and dry sensitive skin. Very sensitive skin, I think. And the pigmentation and, and just the scaliness and so on, you know. Yes, yes. It's unpleasant. Yeah, and it looks and it looks it looks painful for some people, and especially around the creases, you know, the yes, elbows and the knees, behind the knees. Some people get around their necks and so on. It looks very uncomfortable mouth, around the mouth, the around the nose and the eyes as well. My my younger daughter has has eczema quite badly as well. And, of course, you know, people always say it's just stress. There's no question that stress and emotional stress produces the same immune changes as infection. Um, and reducing stress does help, but it's not the cause. It's definitely not the cause. But when you are itching and you're scratching, and the more you scratch, the sore you get. You know, I think it's pretty difficult not to get stressed. <laughs> no, I can imagine. I can imagine. And when you've got an, a patch on your face and you're going out on a date or, you know, it, it, it's such a visible 
a visible problem. And you yourself had you, you didn't have eczema, did you? Um, patches of it. Okay. I, I got eczema when, um, <clears throat> excuse me, many many years ago. One of the magazine editors gave me a very expensive cream to try. I must have, when I say this is many years ago, I was in my early 40s. It's a big clue. And I developed a dermatitis which took me 18 months to get rid of. And when I finally went to see my friend, the dermatologist, and I walked in and I told her what I was using, she burst out laughing and she said, well, we'll just have to treat that, but don't tell any of your friends to stop it. I'm making such a lot of money from it. Because <laughs> everyone was reacting to it. Yes. Oh, my word. It's word. still sold. It's a few thousand rand a pot. Oh, my word. Okay. Well, I'm not <laughs> buying anything that costs two, <laughs> a few thousand rand a pot. Oh, my goodness, Claire. And just, yeah, and just before, you know, before we, um, we let you go, Claire, what plans for the future? What, is, what are you planning for Ordinary Skin Care? And also, where can we find you? Right. We're available online. We're also available in Wellness Warehouse. We're busy rolling out in Wellness Warehouse. Mm-hmm. Here at Walida, um, at Fruits and Roots in Bryanston, we are looking to be available more widely. But we sell online to keep the cost down. We're very conscious of making it available to the consumer. So that that's a, for us is a big deal. Mm. We sell in the UK. Um, and we do have people buying from around the world. We registered. We have a different website in the UK for banking regulation reasons. Okay. Um, and for the future, we're looking for investors. We're looking to expand. We're looking to be ex- sort of successful, but we're most of all looking to be useful. We're not going to be using anything, any rare botanicals. We're not going to be changing from our brand values. We're going to keep our hearts in the business. And we're going to produce only things that we think everybody can use. So right now it's men, women, children, multi-ethnic, and for anybody who has skin, which basically is everybody. And where can we find you? Online, www.ordinaryskincare.co.za. And um, Twitter? We're on Twitter. Ordinary Skin Co. is my handle or our handle. And we're on Facebook, also Ordinary Skin Co. We are on Instagram, but... You know, we quite social media challenged. We, I think, we're quite good at it, considering me in our sixties. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, the fact that you're tweeting is already fantastic for me. You know, that's that's already awesome because I love Twitter. <laughs> we, well, actually, I love Twitter too. Um, so that's where you can find us, and we have. We have a very comprehensive website. Mm. We give lots of information. We've got blogs and things, and we've got a Dr. Claire um, helpline. Okay. And I really enjoy answering people's questions and queries. So I, I really enjoy the contact that we have with our customers. That's awesome, Claire. No, thank you so much for being here. And I'm so glad you could make it in studio. And um, yeah, I'll be posting pictures of your product and so on. And hopefully more and more people with eczema are going to get relief for their skin. Thank you, Cindy. It's an absolute delight to meet you. And yeah. I've loved it. Thank you. Health Hour on cliffcentral.com. Well, we're back and we, um, will be chatting to Uno Mulelo. She is a pharmacist and, um, she's here to share her insights on the profession and a whole lot of other things that, um, are interesting about farm, um, you know, the pharmaceutical, um, industry. Good morning, Uno Mulelo. Yes, hi, good morning. Thank, thank you so much for being on the show, Wooly. Um, I'm really glad to have finally gotten hold of you. <laughs> and, um, I, I, you know, cause I mean, I follow you on Twitter and I know that once in a while, You'll tweet a few, you know, you'll have a series on, say, for example, codeine phosphate or whatever it is. And I think it's great to have you on the show so we can really hear, you know, what being a pharmacist is all about. You've been a pharmacist for 12 years. Yes, yes, I've been. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I didn't realize that it actually was that long. No, well, it's fantastic. And just think mm-hmm. a bit of background. Um, how does one become a pharmacist? I think it's always interesting to know. What do you have to study? And then what happens after your studies? Do you do comm service? What happens? Mm-hmm. Okay, the pharmacy degree, which is called a B-Pharm, a Bachelor of Pharmacy, is four years. Um, and it is offered at most of our universities, if not all of them. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's a four-year degree. So you basically study the four years. And then after you've done that, you do your, what we call an internship. Okay. And it's normally, um, you can do it, you know, at being retail, whichever sort of um, uh, industry you want to go into, which is one year. And then after that, you basically are registered now as a pharmacist. And then after that, you do your community service. Okay. Um, which is now at a public health facility. Okay. So that one is strictly at a public health facility, and that's also for another year. Okay. And then after that, then you are now a qualified 
pharmacists. And I think that, and I think it's important. I'm glad that you brought up the issue of retail pharmacy. There's a difference between you know hosp- working in a in a clinical setting and of course with retail. Yes, 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 yes. It's retail, and actually, the retail is what we call community pharmacy. So oh. it's you know when you're going to 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 your retail shops, um, your clicks, your discounts, your your link pharmacies. That is your retail, and then you also now get hospital pharmacy, which is different. Um, where you've got you know your patient, your inpatient in the hospital. Mm. So yes, um, and 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 the dispensing, you know, it's, it's sort of different there. And I would say sometimes in the hospital you are more involved because you're part of a healthcare team. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you are sort of um, in with the decisions that the doctors make. Or, you know, you're more in contact with the doctors. You know, sometimes they can call you, ask you for advice, what you have. Mm. You know, be the, yeah, all the medical health professionals. So you're more in contact with those. So it's definitely much more clinical. Okay, um, and you've yeah. have you worked in both in both retail and hospital? I've worked. I've I've worked in in both. I've worked in retail. I've worked in, in, in hospital as well. And right now I'm working in industry. Okay. Yes, yes. So I've, I've, I've been sort of diverse. So what, does, what yeah. is industry form? Is, what, so what is industry? What is industry okay. about? You, you, actually, you, you get sort of basically roughly, I would say, about um, five areas that, you know, if I can look at it broadly. So we talked about community pharmacy. Yeah, which, which, is, is, which, is, which is retail. We, yeah, we, yeah, your retail. And then we talked about um, your hospital pharmacy. And then I'm currently working in industry. I'm a quality assurance pharmacist right now. Oh. Um, yes. So basically in industry, it's where we manufacture and where we pack medication, mm-hmm. where they distribute medication. So we've got production pharmacists where, yeah, where they are basically in the factory where all the production of the medication happens. We've got manufacturing, you know, warehouse where all the raw materials are kept mm. um, because it is, you know, it's, it's medication, it's, it's scheduled medication. Um, we've got, I do quality assurance, so basically all that's been done um, we do quality assessments on it so that it's basically safe to use. To use. Mm. Um, there's others who do quality control, so basically they do all the tests. Um, you always have to do random tests so that you know everything is safe. It is medication that we are working with. Mm. Yeah, yes. Um, and then, yeah, so, and then of course the warehouse in terms of manufacturing, so it's very, very broad. So basically going from raw materials right to final products to sales, you know what I mean? Yes, to final products right up until the warehouse to the sales, up until it gets to the consumer. That is so interesting. And the one thing that people don't know, Bully, is just how rare pharmacists are in the country. You guys are a rare species. It's something that that is lost. People don't know this. Pharmacists are a rare commodity. You know, right, when people complain of unemployment, it's like I really want to sympathize. I really do. And, And unemployment is a big deal in this country. But I promise you, you go to any person who's a pharmacist, we, you are never, ever at a loss of a job. You know, I remember a recruiter said to me, but, I mean, do you guys actually even look? Because we literally have people who call us. Like we fight person, over we you. Offer, yes. We people fight over you, yeah. Us, you know, you can actually basically even name your price that you say, okay, mm-hmm. if you want me, this is, you know, what, what, what I'll be worth. Be it retail, be it mm. especially right now where I'm in the industry, um, it's, it's, it's a real commodity, you know, that you would have. I mean, now we've even got things like managed healthcare where it's expanding your, your medical aid. Yeah. Um, remember, the pharmacist is the one sort of in between, between the, the customer and, and, and the funder. Yes. So sometimes, you know, in terms of having things authorized or chronic, et cetera, and so on, the pharmacist is there as well. Even in academics, yeah. um, we know there's a shortage of academics. So it, it really, if, if you go on any day, on any employment website, you will see pages and pages of vacancies for pharmacy for pharmacists. And and I mean, so the shortage will are people leaving the country? Are they, are we not churning out enough pharmacists, who, or is there no interest in people, you know, to study pharmacy? What's what's what do you think is the problem? Um, I think it's I think it's all the factors. I think some some are leaving the country because it is generally worldwide. It is sort of um, a scarce skills shortage. Um, even in the country as well, I think uh, pharmacy schools, um, they tend to be small, you know, almost like medicine, um, you know, so we are not, um, there's not a lot that's, that, that's graduating. And, and I think generally, the, 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 if you look at the, the, the statistics, I think, I don't know if, how many pharmacists to, you know, each person, in, you know, in the country, the demographics. 
um, there's very there's, there's, there's very few. There's mm. definitely very few. So definitely the demand and what the universities are also, um, you know, people that are graduating, it's not enough to meet to, to meet them. Yeah, to meet that. Yeah, not at all. Yeah, it, it, it's not. We definitely, definitely need more. Yeah. Okay. Now, mm. and, and then back to your to your time that the time that you were in retail pharmacy. I think um, I mean, look, you've seen my tweets. I have a few gripes about about yes. over the counter medication, and I think the one the, the one drug I want to speak about is duramine, Wooly. Yes. And the fact that it's it's so readily available in some in some pharmacies. So I think first of all, let's go through scheduling. Like, what is a schedule one drug, and you know, and and who can can you know who can prescribe what? And then let's focus a little bit on duramine because I want people to understand how dangerous that drug is. There's so many women who are wanting to lose weight and getting this over the counter. So yeah, scheduling, and then we'll chat about duramine. Okay. Basically, scheduling of medication is basically, we can say it's classifying of medication yeah. according to, um, oh, okay, sorry, sorry <laughs> I was listening earlier, so it's Okay. Yeah. Um, it's basically classifying medication according to the use and according actually to, to um, how they would sort of um, help it treat you, and of course the danger. So mm-hmm. you basically got from Schedule naught what is perceived as fairly safe medication, up to Schedule six, which is uh, what you would call your dangerous medication. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely more stringent criteria, you know, criteria that will go to, and also how it's handled. You know, it's not like you can just give it over the counter. So basically your Schedule naught is what you would have, you wouldn't even need to go to the pharmacy. So you can get it at your local retail shop, your corner cafe. Yeah. You can get um, two, you know, um, if I can call somebody, maybe Grandpa or Panado, you know, you can get that over the counter. It's fine. It's relatively safe. The packages, the, the amounts that it's sold in, it's relatively safe. Then mm. you get package, um, schedule one and schedule two, which is now when you need to go to the pharmacy for it. Some pharmacies actually, by law, they're supposed to record your name. And it's just basically to, to regulate yes. um, medication because we have seen now that there are people who are sort of, um, you know, habitual because some medication, it is safe, but it can be habit forming. So things like codeine phosphate, for instance, yes. which you would get in some over-the-counter medication. Although it is a bit safe, relatively safe, um, I mean, it's sold in small packages, packaging, um, you can buy it over-the-counter, um, that's schedule one and schedule two. Mm. But you would see now if you go into most retail pharmacies, sometimes they will take your name down and they'll basically see, you know, your, your, your history in terms of the use. And if they see that, listen, this person has been getting this type of medication every two days, hold on, here's a red flag, you know. Yeah. So basically that is done not to irritate you, it's for your safety. Okay. Yeah. Then you get schedule three, schedule, schedule three and up. Now this is when you need a doctor's prescription. Um, these are medication mostly to treat a certain condition. Okay. So it would be like your high blood pressure medication, your diabetic medication, um, etc. Your schedule four will be your antibiotics. And the and ARVs. I know ARVs are schedule yes, four. Yes, schedule four as well. Yes, and then you get schedule five medication, which is now your um, your sleeping tablets more. Yeah. And remember as well, they can also be habit forming. So remember that's why now they also a bit of a higher schedule, mm-hmm. and there's definitely much more strict measures with it. Like say, for instance, with the schedule three or schedule four, it's blood pressure medication, um, transfer. It's, it's not habit forming. It's used to treat blood pressure. So, for instance, if you don't have a script, I would rather, for instance, as a pharmacist, I can give you, I can help you out with maybe three medicine, three tablets, or something like that. So until you get a prescription. Until you get a prescription. Okay, I didn't know, you know that. Okay. Yes, yes. Especially though, if if I know you, if you're a customer that is familiar to me. Yes then it's easy for me, you know, to say, listen, you know, I'd rather, I would give you a few medication than for you not to take it. Okay. You know, just until you can sort yourself out. So with schedule three, you know, we can be a bit like that. Also, if your doctor decides to fax a script through to me or email it to me, you know, we can give a bit of leeway with that because it is, you know, sort of life-threatening type of medication. Yes. Yes. Now, schedule five, it doesn't mean that it's life-threatening, but... It's the safety issues that comes with it as well. Mm-hmm. So we're definitely more strict with it. So if you come with a photocopy I'm of a prescription, you, okay, of a prescription, I'm not going to give you number one because you can because of the abuse as well that has happened. With so these are now the habit-forming drugs. They are habit-forming drugs. So because of that, definitely I will have to. You know, there's more. 
stricter, if I can call it, rule, okay. as opposed to that. So I would want a, an original prescription um, from your doctor, then, you know, that will be that. So that will be mostly your sleeping tablets. Sometimes you would have your, so your tranquilizers, okay. etc. your benzodiazepines. Um, this is also when you have um, your antidepressant medication, particularly because they work, you know, antidepressants are not habit-forming, but they work on the on the central nervous system. Yes. So, you know, they can have um, a, a sort of a, a, an adverse, you know, uh, the, the effect they can have in the body can be sort of adverse. So that's why they also higher um, schedule as well. Okay. And then you get schedule six, and Jeremiah also falls under the schedule five. And that's um, and that's yeah. Yes. So we, when you come back to that, yeah, we'll discuss that. Yeah, yes. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So that Jeremiah will fall under schedule five, and then you get now your schedule six medication, and that is also you know they can be also very habit forming, and this is where you get your morphine, your pseudoephedrine, mm. um, you know all those all those um, sort of dangerous. They are dangerous drugs because if they are taken. Um, in, in high volumes or, you know, in a way where they are not prescribed, they can definitely be dangerous. Um, mm. If you take a high dose of morphine, you know, you can go into, you know, cardiac arrest, etc. and so on. So those and those, um, for instance, um, I definitely need a script that is signed by your doctor. Um, every time that I, I basically dispense a schedule 6 drug, I always need a prescription. Mm. Um, you know, with you know, with with high blood pressure, a doctor can give you a six month prescription. For yes, instance, and even for know. ARVs, you can get a six month repeat yes, and so on. Yes, you get a six month prescription and all that because you know it's your treatment that you are taking. Yeah. But if something like morphine, you always need to go to the doctor. The doctor has to assess the need that you need and the dosage as well. Okay, so taper either and check. Do you still need this amount? Taper it down or put it up, but it has to yes. be a new script each time. Each time. It has to be signed. We don't want to copy an original script every time. And it's also just for the doctor and for the pharmacist to just keep the record yeah. of, 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 of sort of, because we know, I mean, you're a doctor, you know, people doctor hop, um, you know, they, they pharmacy hop, et cetera, and so on. It's just also just to keep those stringent measures, measures that it's, you know, it's not a free for all. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, mm. and now back to Juramine. Mm-hmm. Okay, so basically, duramine is a it, it, it increases your metabolism, right? Yes. And I know my understanding is that it's used in um, you know morbidly obese patients, and mm-hmm. even so, it's used for a very short time, just until we get to, get you to a weight where you can now start exercising or whatever it is. But yes. it's you know it's not to be used in patients who are not morbidly obese. It's it's always in conjunction with a with a you know with a dietitian, and mm-hmm. it's always for a short time. So here we are. We have some pharmacies. Given Duramine over the counter, everyone and their granny is starting to take it, and yet they don't realize just how much they, you know, they, they're playing with their lives. Mm, yeah, um, actually, yeah, Duramine is it's, um, it's, it's actually an appetite suppressor. Yeah. Okay, so it's supposed to 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 to, to suppress the appetite. And these are people who are morbidly obese, so it's basically to help them when they have, you know, a, a controlled diet, so that they don't have those binges. In between, so they can help manage. You know, they can eat. You know, have you know when you have a controlled diet, there's certain amount of food that you eat and a calories, yeah, and yeah, all that, and calories, etc. Yeah. So it's basically to help them manage so they don't basically binge eat in between, etc. And you know, they don't have those cravings for food, and that's supposed to work. You know, when you are morbidly obese and in control, you know, in in conjunction with a controlled diet, mm. and it's just supposed to suppress your appetite, and it also does have side effects to it. Where it can um, cause tachycardia, which is what you call, uh, you know, a fast you when your heart beats when your heart beats fast, mm-hmm. and it can also increase your blood pressure as mm-hmm. well. And this is where now it comes in. Some of these ones of the medication that's bought over the counter, a lot of them is not registered. Remember, in South Africa, we've got what we call the MCC and what we're yeah, the Medicines Control ACA, Council. Medicine Control Council. Basically, what they do as well. Um, we work in conjunction with the, for instance, we manufacture. So they're basically the regulatory body that is supposed to check all medication that is imported into South Africa, or as in my case, where we manufacture uh, medication, they do quality assurance as well. Okay. So a lot of these are black market tablets. Mm-hmm. A lot of them, no checks have been done on them. Um, so you can never even say how much because even the doses of the germ of the germine is there's a fifty milligrams and there's thirty milligrams. Yes. And I remember once they took um, it was counterfeit germine and they actually found levels of up to forty five. 
milligrams. Because people were coming and they were having those women who had a stroke. People were coming in with bad tachycardia, you know, with dizziness, very bad side effects that they would have yeah. um, on these medications. And so it so, turns out that they were actually getting much higher than the normal dose of the duramine. Yes. Because these yes. tablets are coming in on the black market. Because they were coming in on the black market. Remember, there's no tests that are done on it. There's no quality assurance. It's just done and it's sold as supposedly as the, 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 the duramine drug. Wow. That, 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 that is happening, yeah. And then also, people that use these duramine drugs need to be careful because, yes, it will suppress your appetite. You will not eat. But remember, once you've stopped, you go exactly back to those eating habits that you have stopped yourself from. And what happens is most often, the body has been so used to starving. Now, when it starts to eat, I mean, you know, doctor, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to want to eat more. And chances are most people, if you were, say, 80 kilograms and now you look 60, where you'll go back and you'll be probably 90 or even 100 kilograms. Mm. So it's never good and it's never sustainable to have these. And if you do have a pharmacist and you go into that pharmacy and they're selling you duramine over there, it's Schedule 5, number 1, number 2, because you have to be examined, you know. It is dangerous in terms of side effects. Please do report that pharmacy that is selling you over the counter because that is not, you know, according to the pharmacy rules. Um, there are regulations and there are laws that we go, you know, that we follow. Um, they are not supposed to sell a schedule five medication. I mean, I can't even sell it, um, schedule five medication on a fax or copy. Mm, it has you to know? be a, a, a it has to be an original time. prescription that comes. So, if somebody is selling you over the counter and a schedule five, you definitely need to report it, be that the South African Pharmacy Council or the MCC, which is your medical control council. Well, that's, yeah, thank you so much. That's very insightful. I think it's mm. important for people to know this. The mm. other thing that's of interest to me, Muni, is the morning after pill. Okay, mm. so morning after pill, you go into the pharmacy, you take down my name, you take down my ID number. Why is that? Um, it, it, it's also just to, to, to as a control. Because I know you keep um, a register, right? Yes, yes. You okay. have to keep a register it's just as well, just to keep a control of the register because it is medication that, and you know, it is available over the counter. Um, to remember um, also, and, and I need to counsel you on it, um, when I give you a morning after pill, I'm not just giving you a headache tablet. Um, obviously, there has been unprotected sex in there. I'm not giving you a lecture, but I just want to know, had there been maybe, for instance, a week ago, was there unprotected sex, and then maybe you're taking it a week later? Because remember, not everybody knows exactly how you use it. Okay. So could there exactly be a pregnancy? Some people take it thinking that if there is a pregnancy, it's a way to abort that pregnancy. So basically, I need to assess, um, you know, why you're taking it. I mean, I know why you're taking it, but do you know why you're taking it? And mm-hmm. you know how effective? Or maybe say you, you are taking it now. I mean, there's someone who said, oh, no, it was like about three, four days ago. We know that you need to take it as soon as possible as well. Um, so it, it's also just as a way to, to sort of, it's a counseling measure. Really. Okay. Um, yeah, it's a counseling measure just to know exactly. Um, and, and also, if, if, if you are taking it, was was, was a sexual assault that, 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 that's been happening, that has happened here, you know, that you just want to take it, you want to keep quiet, you know what I mean? Okay. So remember, as, as a pharmacist as well, I, 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 I do have that right to ask, and we do have a right to counsel um, you on any medication that is taken. You also, as a patient, have a right to ask that as well, if you need information, if you need counseling, etc. and so on. I'm not just there just, you know, for you to give your prescription and you give medication. I need to counsel you on the medication that you're taking. Okay. Yeah. The other thing, Woody, I wanted to ask about, um, so once in a while I'll get a letter in the mail, oh dear Dr. Fansale, there's been a batch, uh, rec- there's been a recall of this batch of medication and so on. Please, you know, if any of your patients has got it, please take it back and so on and so on. Yes. Who, who monitors all of that? That's always like, in the last few months I've received quite a lot of those Recalls, you know. So, who you know which part, which field of pharmacy is doing all of that kind of stuff? And basically, we do. I do that kind of. That oh, kind of stuff. okay, that's what so you're I in now. I also deal with, with. I also deal with batch complaints. Um, I mean, for instance, what happens here is it, anything that has to leave the plant definitely has to go through me. Um, so, say something happens, everything went well. I mean, in in here, and we sign it off, and it goes to market. And Cindy takes the medication, and suddenly Cindy has a bad reaction. I, it's my obligation, as obligated by the MCC, 
I need to basically, if, if there's, a, there's what you call an adverse event, um, I need to go and, and, and take that medication. Um, even if I don't take that medication, there's normally a batch number, like you're saying, there's a batch number. Yes. So the batch number that attacks there, um, I go back to my file and I go look under that file and I take, there's normal samples, there's samples as well that we keep. So mm-hmm. we'll take that file and we'll now look and investigate and start an investigation on exactly what went wrong. Say we happen to find that there was a mistake somewhere in the manufacturing, um, you know, they forgot to put one type of medication in there that what could have caused, for instance, yours, and then we will recall the batch. For okay. Yeah, or if maybe there was a label that was misinterpreted or maybe the, even if it's bottle tops that were all right when they left the market, you know, but when you get to the market, you find that those bottle tops, you know, they're not quite strong as they are. So what we'll do is we'll look at that batch number, uh, we go back to our files, we test it, we see it, and then, um, so it's all falls under sort of manufacturing and warehousing. For instance, if it's something that was imported, for instance, yeah. that warehouse pharmacist is the one that will do it. Um, yeah. And so, so then how do you reach? Yeah, I do that. Okay, so I mean, it's easy if it's a prescription drug because then you can you can trace the script back and maybe call the patient, whatever it is. Yes. What if it's something over the counter? How how would you reach those people? How do we reach those people? Um, normally, sometimes they do. If it's it, it, and I think it, it also goes back to um, the type. Remember, there's, there's different types of urgency as well. Mm, so, if, if, so you if, assess if, if that. It's just a mild thing where there's maybe just a miss a date that was written wrong or maybe package insert, there's a certain sentence that wasn't put in. Um, sometimes they might just put it maybe in, in media, in the paper, et cetera, and so on. Okay, of course, um, yeah, yeah, you're right, that's you're what right. Do. And then if it's really urgent, if maybe there was something that was put in there could have been poisonous or dangerous, then there'll definitely be more in media, et cetera, and so on. So it always goes by that, just the type of urgency um, of, um, and, yeah, of, of, of what's needed, yeah. But it's basically what I do, um, quality assurance. So I deal with, like, market complaints. If there's something that happens, you know, sometimes it can just happen that you have an adverse event and you're just allergic to that medication. Mm-hmm. But obviously because of that, I still need to check. Um, we still need to do our quality um, control. We need to do our tests to see that everything was done correctly um, from raw material right up to dispensing. Okay. Um, yeah. No, well, thank you so much, Bully. Um, it was really great, you know, chatting to you. I think we'll have you on the show again because um, there's so much more that you know we can discuss about about the pharmacy industry. But I mean, I commend you guys on the work that you do. I think um, we don't we don't appreciate pharmacists enough. So I'm saying we appreciate you. I appreciate the work that you guys do. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Bye. This is CliffCentral.com.